We're so glad to be back. It's so fun here. It is. Not every meeting is fun. Sometimes you're plowing ground, right? It's like your feet are in concrete. And you're, but this place is fun. So um, wasn't Scarlet amazing? So it was so good. So, so good. You know, what I like is that she made faith practical and easy and work. Sometimes it's just hard to understand when somebody just gives you the scriptures on faith and they don't make it practical. How do you do this? And I love it. I'm a how-to person. How do you do that? Don't tell me I should. Tell me how. So I loved it. So since Pastor Scarlett talked about one of our most familiar scriptures, I'm going to go to the most unfamiliar, (laughs) or one of the most unfamiliar. So I'm going to start in Nehemiah. How about that? So um, we're going to talk between chapter 1 and chapter 6, and I promise you I'm not going to read every verse in all those chapters. You don't want me to. So I'm going to skip around really fast. You might be able to keep up with me or... If I say the scripture, I mean. Uh, but also, I've used all kinds of translations, so um, have fun. <laughs> I don't even know if I've written them down here. But the book of Nehemiah opens with um, a brethren coming to Nehemiah, and they're talking. And he asks the condition of Jerusalem. And his brothers answered in a way that did not excite him. It was not what he wanted to hear. They said... <clears throat> They're in great trouble in Jerusalem and in disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates destroyed by fire. So in ancient times, the cities had walls built around them for what reason? Protection. And so with no walls, they were vulnerable to attack. They were disgraced. And so Nehemiah began to burn with a passion to see these walls rebuilt and Jerusalem restored and for their vulnerability to be um, removed and for their shame to be removed. And so he wept and mourned, it says, over the situation in Jerusalem, so much so that days later when he went in to serve the king, the king said, are you sick? No. Are you troubled? That's his countenance was so consumed with his passion that the king could see it on him. And so Nehemiah explained to him that my city is in ruins. The walls have been torn down and, and how, how passionate he was about seeing those walls rebuilt. And so he asked the king for a leave of absence and the king granted it. And then it reminds me of like when Abraham was negotiating for Lot, he started negotiating. And by the way, could I have letters? And get all the supplies. You know, I need wood. I need this. I need that. And and the king gave him everything. So Nehemiah went armed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when he got there, he didn't tell anybody what God had put in his heart. Lesson number one. I think he learned this from Joseph. <laughs> when Joseph had a dream and God showed him this vision and uh, he blabbed it to everybody, it was not the smartest thing to do, was it? It caused him a lot of trouble, and Nehemiah went, hmm. <laughs> He said, uh, God's put something in my heart, but I'm not saying a word to anybody about it. So he got to Jerusalem, and he snuck out at night. I thought this was cool. 
everybody's asleep. He sneaks out at night, and he goes and inspects the walls. So he started at one end, and he's going around. But when he got to a certain part in the wall, this is what it says. I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. And that's what I want to talk about today is rubble, the rubble in our lives and what it does. And so, anyway, we'll get there. Um, so this wall was 39 feet tall and 8 feet thick. Can you imagine the rubble? I don't think Nehemiah expected to see that. He was really charged <laughs> about, you know, building this wall back up. But when you come, I can't even imagine the pile of rubble around the wall that it left. And when he got there, his donkey couldn't even pick his way through this rubble. So he was smart not to take anybody with him in the middle of the night. He didn't need any naysayers there seeing the physical thing. Now, he had the passion of God on the inside of him for the assignment to rebuild this, but all the guys with him didn't necessarily have that same passion. So he left them in the room, and he went and looked at the condition of this wall, but it didn't stop him. It didn't discourage him because of the passion to see it rebuilt. And so, you know, lesson number one, keep your mouth shut when God tells you to do something. Not everybody rejoices when we rejoice. They ought to, the Bible commands us to, but that's not always the way it happens. They get jealous, they get envious, and they and they can get ugly. And so we've got to keep what God tells us to do on the inside a lot of times and incubate it and then just, you know, let it grow. And um, finally, after he got back to Jerusalem, he shared with the elders and the Jews what he was planning to do. And they said, yes, let's build the wall. And so they started to work. And so they were with him all the way, all the way. They were all in. Remember that. They were all in. But if this big, massive pile of rubble wasn't big enough or bad enough, you could say, to face um, Sanballat and his buddies opposed him. They came as soon as they heard that he was rebuilding this wall, and he didn't want it rebuilt. They didn't want the Jews to have their city back. And so he opposed them. And the first thing he did when he heard about the plans is he scoffed Nehemiah and he accused him. He said, you're rebelling against the king. And so one of the first things we have to realize is that the accuser of the brethren is always going to accuse us when we have a plan, right? It's his nature. That's who he is. He's the accuser. He's the liar, father of all lies. And so here is Nehemiah facing this big job of rebuilding the wall. But before he could do anything to rebuild the wall, he had to remove the rubble. It had to go. They had, they, they had to clear it out so that they could rebuild this. And so that's what we have to do in our lives. Before we can really build ourselves into what God's already made us, sometimes rubble has to go. Not sometimes, always. Everybody has a different kind of rubble. <laughs> I could tell you a lot of mine, but you don't want to hear it. <laughs> there is too much. So... um this is what Sanballat said to Nehemiah. Oh, no, this is what Nehemiah said to Sanballat 
when he accused him of rebelling against the king at uh, chapter 2, verse 20. He said, the God of heaven will prosper us. What Greg said last night, weapons will be formed. I was like, you're going to preach my message. I knew it. I just knew it. (laughs) Okay, so Sanballat has formed this whole crowd to oppose Nehemiah. Weapons will be formed, but they will not work. They will not prosper. So Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will prosper us. And he said, um, his servants will arise and build. And then turned to Sanballat and said, but for you, there is no share, no legal right, and no claim in Jerusalem for you. I was like, man, isn't that what we have to say every time we come against opposition? You have no legal right. No legal right. Well, that didn't settle well with Sanballat. So he flew into a rage and began mocking and harassing the builders. And uh, listen to what he says. Listen to the tone of what he says about God's ways. He said, what? Oh, this is a 4-2. Uh, and I couldn't tell you what translation. But he said, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can rebuild this wall in a single day by offering sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of these stones and from a rubbish heap and from charred ones at that? So he's mocking the ways of God, the sacrifices and the offerings. He said they really think they can offer a sacrifice and it'll, you know, they can, the wall will build. Well, what mockery, right? Has the enemy, the accuser ever come to you about when you're going to give an offering or you're going to do something that God's command is to do, and, and that accuser comes and says, you really think this is going to change your life, giving this offering? It's your last $10. He does that. He'll come. And so I love what Nehemiah said. He said, <clears throat> he said, may their scoffing fall back on their own heads. I love it. So Psalm 141.10 says, David said this. He said, let the wicked fall into their own nets, but let me escape. And so in my book, the new book on protection, I have a whole chapter on false accusations. And I have four or five scriptures like this that said, David said, let them fall into their own pits. Let them, let it come on their heads and me escape. And so we've got those promises that, They can accuse us. They can mock us, whatever they want, but let it fall back on their heads, not on mine. I'm I'm protected by the umbrella, right? Psalm 91, I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. None of it gets near me. So fast forward here in the story, and we're into, I think, chapter 6, verse 4. The wall is halfway built. And the people were so enthusiastic. They were so motivated. Look what we've done. And, you know, Van Sanballat saw the same half wall built. And he got really, really angry. And so he got his men together and and tried to attack them. And he planned an attack. So now not only were they building the wall, but they had to station men around the entire wall to guard day and night. So... That took away from the workers. And so the workers began to get tired. And when you get tired, you complain. (laughs) It says, verse 10, it says, the workers are getting tired and they're complaining. (laughs) Because of the rubble that has to be removed. Wow. 
So we're going to talk about the rubble in our, our lives and see if we complain about that. <laughs> so um, this is a classic case of the glasses half full or the glasses half empty. They're halfway there, and all of a sudden, you know, four verses before, they were enthusiastic and shouting. <laughs> we don't know how much time is in there, but it's only four verses for us. And verse 10, now they're complaining, they're tired, and there's just too much rumble. You know? There's too much. <laughs> you know? And so we find that a lot. Um, but Nehemiah wasn't about to quit. I think he had the attitude, y'all can go home and I'll finish this job. But his heart burned with this mission to rebuild. And so he turned to his coworkers and he said, don't be afraid of the enemy. He said, remember, I love this, remember the Lord. He's great and he's awesome. And remember what you're fighting for, your families, your sons, your daughters, and your homes. I'm like, can't you see this leader? I see William Wallace right. in front of the big crowd giving his pep talk to these complaining, tired workers. And he's like, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the God of our fathers. He's great. He, I can hear it. Split the Red Sea. He did this. He did this. And then he said, but remember who you're fighting for. Well, if that doesn't stir something up in you, I have a lot of people, you probably do say, well, that's not my problem. So it doesn't, you know, that didn't apply to me. And you're like, well, it's all about me, isn't it? But if this guy says, remember who you're fighting for, it's your families. It's your sons. It's your daughters. It's our future. It's our homes. I love it. I love leaders. Well, William Wallace, I can see him. I can see Nehemiah dirty from all this rubble and building half of a wall. Maybe his beard was all scruffy. I saw William Wallace there. (laughs) And so, yeah, this leader out there pacing in front of the crowd saying, "Not, do not be afraid. Just remember what you're fighting for. Remember your cause and remember God. He's awesome. He's built half of this wall. (laughs) Anyway, so... It really did something in those workers when he did this pep talk. And it says in verse 17, he said, Now the laborers took a tool in one hand and a weapon in another hand. I love that. I love that. So now they're working and they're fighting too. Man, what a change from complaining, right? So, and he said, every builder had a sword belted to his side. Yeah. Don't you love a good fight? I love a good fight. Meet me in the alley. <laughs> yeah. So I told you guys before. What? <laughs> yeah, let's take it outside. So I told you before, my husband's the mercy side of our ministry. I'm the violent ticket buck force. Truly. Great balance, aren't we? Sometimes he has to pull me out of the fight. True. But I don't back down, do I? <laughs> so anyway, Sanballat's mocking failed. His threats failed. His intimidation failed. So the only thing he could do was concoct a lie. And that's what he did. He said to Nehemiah, he said, you're in rebellion against the king, and I'm going to go tattle on you. <laughs> he said, I'm going to tell the king what you're doing. And so Nehemiah's reply to his threat, simple, you know you're lying. 
There's not any truth or any part of your story is true. And then he turned to his co-workers and he said, verse 9, uh, they're just trying to intimidate us, imagining, I don't know, it could be six, it could be five. <laughs> I said verse 9. That's Oh, it's four? I knew that. It's in the book of Nehemiah. <laughs> so he said, To his co-workers, I want you to get this now. They're just trying to intimidate us, imagining they could break our resolve and stop the work. So what the enemy comes against us is to intimidate, to accuse, to make us fear. So that, I love, we're quoting Dennis's message last night. The attack on, the battle on the outside and the fear on the inside. That was so good. Even Paul faced that. So he said, but this whole concoction of a lie, the intimidation, the lies are all to do one thing. Break our resolve and make us quit. So Philippians 128, one of my favorites, says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This is a sure sign that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved even by God himself. It's a sure sign. Don't be intimidated. So, you know, if you keep your mouth shut, the devil doesn't even, or the whole kingdom of darkness doesn't even know what's going on inside of you. It's when you talk that he starts to figure out what's going on. So keep cool. Don't let him see you sweat, right? Don't affect me. Twitch. <laughs> don't let him see you sweat. He said, don't be intimidated because this is a sure sign of his failure. When the enemy sees us all cool and collected and unintimidated or fearful, it's like, dang, I didn't do anything with her. I'm, you know, it's a sure sign to him. So what does Nehemiah's story have anything to do with us? Glad you asked. Nehemiah's account is a picture of our own lives, of our soul, from the lies, the accusation, and the work we need to do to restore our souls that are left from the scars of all the stuff in our life that have come. We talked about this last time, um, if you remember. We talked about the tattoos that are on our mind that, um, you know, the... Failures, the words people speak to us, the different things that happen to us throughout life, they're tat- they can be tattooed on our mind and we will always remember that, that tattoo because it's there always telling us what we can do, what we can't do, what we're allowed to do, what, you know, our limitations. And so rebuilding the walls of our life is going to be similar to what Nehemiah faced. There's going to be an accuser for sure. There's going to be lies. There's going to be intimidation and threats. But you have to turn around to your enemy and do just what Nehemiah said. There is nothing true in anything you say. And then tell yourself, remember, fighting for your family. You're fighting for your son, your daughter, your home. You're fighting for the people in the church. You're fighting. Well, that's what we're fighting for. It's not just about us. But if we don't get free, we're not going to be able to help others get free. So the accuser's words are um, can be tattooed on us so that we will um, 
not do the great work that God has us to do. And so the failures can make us so afraid that we don't even want to risk doing something again and getting wounded or hurt or, you know, the dreams that we've had have been crushed or words that have said to us penetrated and hurt us and scarred our soul. And so this leaves a pile of rubble in our soul that has to be removed before our lives can be rebuilt. And so that's what we want to do. Have you ever seen the apps? I'm sure if you have a smartphone, have you seen the apps that are hidden and running I don't know if you can see this, but they're running behind the scene. Let me start over. So here's my all my apps, and I can bring everything up that is running. All these things are running all the time, unless you close them. What they do is they drain your battery, and they make you run. It, they make your phone run a lot slower. And so all of these scars and tattoos in our lives, they drain our energy, and we don't even realize it. We don't. You might not even know these apps were running. I remember the first time I saw that, I'm like, what? And then I learned how to close them, and I left them open for y'all so you can see as my demo. Anyway, uh, so they drain your battery. If you wonder why your phone's being drained, check the apps that are running in behind the scene all the time. And that's what happens when all these tattoos and all this wounding and scars are in our lives and haven't been removed and, and our life be rebuilt is that it drains us and it, and it makes us go slower. I'm so tired all the time. And so what we have to do is deal with the rubble, remove the rubble. Um, and so we can rewrite our story entirely. Honestly, if I told you my story, sometimes when I'm talking about it, I think, gee, that doesn't even seem like anybody I know, but I lived it. I know it was me. <laughs> but I'm so far removed from that just because I've worked with the word, done what Pastor Scarlett said. I lined my words up with what he said so that we removed all those tattoos and all the conditioning that held me back. And so that's what we can do to rewrite our story so that our lives don't even resemble what it used to resemble. And so these are strongholds in our soul. I call them tattoos because I think that really is a great word picture to show you, you know, kind of what happens on our soul. Um, So all these strongholds are there to stop us from doing the great mission that God's given us and to be free. And quite frankly, I've I've just discovered recently that not only is freedom on the other side of a stronghold, but giftings <laughs> that you might never have ever discovered or known they were there. I'm just shocked. <laughs> Removing one little stronghold in my life and this whole world opened up for me. And um, I talked to a lady last night. She said the same thing. She said, thank you for sharing that because that's what happened to me. I've said this all my life. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. And she said, when I heard your story, I quit saying it, started to say something else. And she said, and I'm free. It's that easy. That easy. That's what I love about what Pastor Scarlett taught. It's so easy if you just do it. We just have to work (laughs) what it says to do. Okay, so lies. I mean, strongholds are lies that are established in our thinking that we count as true. So your mom says you've always been a failure. You're not worth anything. You know, you're not smart. They told me my oldest sister was the pretty one, 
My next sister was a talented one. My mom got to me and says, you have no talent, so just be a secretary. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I followed that my whole life. Yeah, just until one day it came out of my mouth what my mom had said to me, and I went, that thing's dying. Meet me in the alley. <laughs> We're killing you. <laughs> We're going to beat you out. So the false beliefs that come to us that say you can never rebuild your life are too old. This has been with you too long. They put me out to pasture. (laughs) You're not qualified. You've failed so much, you are a failure. You know, whatever it is that you struggle with, I could probably sit here and list a hundred things and maybe not even cover everything that that we deal with um, from our past. And our past could be as much as 30 minutes ago or 30 years ago. It doesn't matter. They come for the same purpose to stop you from being free and discover your gifts. So these lies are nothing new. I want to show you some. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. It started in the garden. This whole thing started in the garden. With Eve, when the serpent came to her, uh, and he, if, verse 1, uh, one, two, and three, I think. Uh, he said, did God really say you uh, must not eat of the fruit or any of the trees in the garden? You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened. And as um, as soon as you eat it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So this is what happened in the garden. The truth is, he first thing he did was cause Eve to question God. Has God really said that? How familiar is that to us? Has God really said you could be free? Has God really said you could have that job? Has God really said fill in the blank for your life? And that's the first thing he'll always do is question God. So whatever you find in the word that you're endeavoring to build into your life, just just know he's going to come and he's going to question, has God really said? And you love that. Has God really said such an attitude. So this is for familiar question that we deal with that just is designed to bring doubt into us that God really said this or meant this or would it work for me. And the next thing he did was he twisted her thinking to make her think God lied instead of him being lying. He said, you won't die. God's a liar. You won't die. And then... He made her think less of herself when he said, you'll be like God. So you're not like him now. He's withheld stuff from you. He said stuff that's not true. So everything he did inside of Eve twisted her thinking against God and what God had said, what he had, what she even experienced. I mean, I can't even imagine she's walked and talked with God, has a relationship with him, and these few words twisted her thinking so that God was the enemy instead of the serpent being in. So she craved what she already possessed. Isn't that sometimes what we want? I want so bad to be what God wants me to be, and you're craving it, and yet he said, it is yours. It's yours. You're in Christ. It all belongs to you. This is who you are. You can have what I said. You can be who I said. And yet we're craving the same thing. So she craved what she already possessed. She was already made in the image and likeness of God. And yet he made her want it so bad that she would disobey God. So when Eve 
took of the fruit and ate it, identity theft was born. And it's existed ever since. He's after our identity in God. And so our identities are under attack. And so from the time we're born, these lies are sewn into us. And, you know, everything that happens is what Nehemiah said, to get us to uh, quit. To get us to lose our resolve and quit. And so all through life, whatever the lies are that have been told to you, that's their aim. And they're a stronghold. So, but listen to this. Colossians 1, 13 through 15. This is a lot I'm going to read. But I do know that it's in the uh, Passion Translation. So I love the words that they've used here. So it says, he has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness. Isn't he a tyrant, though? (laughs) Okay. So my screen just went blank. Hang on. Okay. He said he canceled out every legal violation that we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. It's been completely erased and canceled. Remember when Nehemiah said you have no legal right here. This is our ability to say the same thing. You have no legal right because Jesus canceled out every violation on my record, even the arrest warrant that indicted me. It's gone. He said he erased it all, your sin, your stained soul. And he deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. I love that. He said, everything we once were in Adam has been pl- has been placed onto the cross and nailed permanently there for a public display of its cancellation. Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. He doesn't even have the weapon and the power and the authority to accuse us. And by the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. I love that. I love that. He had him in chains. He had the kingdom of darkness in chains. He triumphed over them. And he led a procession in front of everyone so they could see. Jesus was not the prisoner. They were his. I love that. I love that. So many great things. So this is the truth of who we are. Our record has been expunged. There's absolutely no remembrance of it. Dennis was preaching one time on, um, I don't remember what it was. The Bible. Bible. (laughs) It was the Bible. And anyway... A lady came up to him and said, I work at the courthouse. And she said, my job is um, after somebody is either, you know, proven, if they're proven guilty, they're taken to jail. If they're um, innocent, not guilty, she said, their record comes to me, and it's my job to expunge their record. Everything, I have to look up everything that is related to their name and this crime, and it is deleted forever. It doesn't exist. That's her job to. So we've been expunged. Jesus said this. It's been deleted permanently. Deleted. And it can't be retrieved. I love that. 
So what we have to do is start to live like, like, like he said, he, Jesus erased it all. Your sin and the stain on your soul. It's gone. Deleted. Can't be retrieved. You know, I remember Jesse preaching this one time. Psalm says that our sin has been thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. And Jesse said, don't go down and retrieve it. You know, put on your scuba deer and just jump into the sea and go get that old sin and hold on to it. It's been deleted permanently. I love that. Love it, love it, love it. So that's the truth of what has happened to us. It's not the lies, the accusations, the threats, the intimidation that goes on up here or that's in our souls. So he is the accuser. He's the father of lies. It's his nature. He will buffet our souls and keep us in an emotional ruin if he can, if we let him. So um, if you believe the same lie that Eve did, he'll keep you in a place of cowering and under his thumb. So we've got to remove the rubble in our own lives. We talked so much about that last time. I just am tempted to repeat it all, but I won't. <laughs> we'll, we'll review a few things. So um, he'll try to convince you you're a failure, uh, give you a mindset and a stronghold because you failed that you're a failure. And, and really having failed in life, doesn't make you a failure. It makes you human. <laughs> We're not a failure. Albert Einstein said this. He said, I've tried 99 times and I failed. But on the 100th came success. Then Thomas Edison sent his researchers out 10,000 times. They tried to uh, make a prototype of the light bulb. And 10,000 times they failed. And they came to Edison and said, it's impossible. We've tried 10,000 ways. That's a lot. That's a lot. And Edison said this. He said, I've not failed 10,000 times. I've succeeded in proving 10,000 times the way it won't work. Yeah. And he, he's, he had this vision inside of himself of a light bulb, and he knew it could, it could work. So Edison didn't see his attempts as failures. He saw them as results. And, yeah, he said um, he saw them as results that he could learn from. There's the key. I remember watching an interview one time years and years ago um, of Michael Jackson's former wife, which I I don't even know her name. I don't know who she was. I was just watching the show. And they were, you know how the media will do. They prod you, and they're so cruel to people and so he wanted to get her to say things he knew she couldn't say and she was bawling already crying her eyes out she's standing outside of this mansion that was provided for her by Jackson and um, has a beautiful pool and there was horse stables here and there was massive it was beautiful but she's standing there a broken human being and they're pushing her and pushing her and to say what she can't say. She's under contract. She can't talk about this, period, about her children that Michael Jackson now has custody of. And so they finally said, um, do you regret giving him your children? She's bawling her eyes. Get a clue, buddy. <laughs> Get a clue. But this is what she said. Ah, oh, what a woman. She said, to regret is to say I didn't learn a thing. Of course she regretted it. 
but she learned from it. So Edison said the same thing. I've not failed. I've just learned the way it doesn't work. And so if you can think of things, if, you know, if you feel like you're a failure in an area or whenever the accuser tells you you are a failure, all you have to do is say, I've not failed. It's just the result of way <laughs> it didn't work that way, right? And so Edison saw this. He saw the work that didn't work just as valuable as the work that did work. Now, there's an attitude there that, like, I know this can work because I've seen it. Seen it on the inside of me. I've seen it in the Word. I know God's not a liar. I don't know how, but so the attitude switch here is huge. So Galatians tells us, let's not get tired and well-doing and start complaining. Because <laughs> at the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And so people are prone to giving up. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I see this all the time where they start working on something. They see the wall half built and man, I'm tired. They say work in and they quit and they'll never see the results as a, re- as a result of their quitting. But so remember the RAS that we talked about last time? Um, the reticular activation system at the base of your brain that's about this big that they discovered in 1949 as a group of neurons that is what they're calling now a search engine in your brain. And so the search engine only does what we input it, input. The information that we put into the search engine is the only thing that it'll bring out. Did I say that right? And so God put this inside of our brain to work so that what we say goes into our brain and the reticular activation system will bring it out as evidence of what we say. So if we put in negative impossible failure thinking ideas into our brain by what we say. Well, I've never been able to accomplish that. I'm not too, I don't like math. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> so, you know, everything we say is I can't or um, to me, a four, uh, the four letter word can't ought to be removed, extracted, deleted from our addiction, um, our vocabulary. In fact, my husband knows don't ever say can't to Vicky. Hey, you know I'm going to go do it now. <laughs> Don't. Is that rebellion? That's safe. That's not rebellion. No, I think it ought to be removed. I can't. Should be removed. Because Jesus said you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So if we say we can't, and we know better than God, right? That's what we're saying. Well, God I'm saved, but I know I'm not. I don't feel like it, so I know better than God. Who's going to be right in a situation like that? It's you. If God says you're saved and delivered and going to heaven and you say, no, I'm not. I don't feel like it. I'm I'm sinner. I'm going to hell. Guess who is right? God will not usurp his right onto your will. It's it's his desire that people are saved, but they go to hell every day. So his desires don't always come to pass. Anyway, back to your RAS, your reticular activation system. When you put in negative thoughts and information into your brain, when let's just use this as an example of you're offended at a human being and um, 
We haven't seen them for a long time. They walk through the door, and your Raz is going to pull up instantly everything that they did wrong, why you don't like them, why you shouldn't talk to them, why you should leave the room, because that's the information you put in when you were offended. So all we have to do is do what Pastor Scarlett said, is change what we say. And this is the amazing thing about this little group of neurons, is they can change everything in your world if you will just put different information into your brain. And so we can say, um, great peace of they that love the Lord and nothing by any means shall offend them. Just say it over and over and over. And that person walks in and your Raz will pick up that scripture and bring it out and you'll have no offense. So God knew when he wrote all of this that he created these neurons inside of us to work this way. So when he says to say things, when he gives us instructions that we're supposed to say it out of our mouth, guess what? Our RAS goes to work automatically. Isn't that amazing? So it's not just that the Bible tells us to do it. It's that you have a search engine on the inside of your brain that makes it happen. So God's like, I made it this way, so you guys need to cooperate with it. So I just think that's amazing. Just like those apps on the on your phone, they're draining you. Those tattoos and those lies are draining us. So we can reprogram the RAS by putting in different information. And this is the amazing thing to me is that research has found that that RAS in your brain is like a magnet. So if you put in negative things, they said negative things will come to you. But if you put in positive things, positive things will come to you. You don't have to say anything. You are like a magnet. That's amazing. So that, well, you know, that's the favor of God, right? When we don't even have to say it, and it uh, it's working for us. It's our attitude, our primary attitude. If we have a negative attitude, our Raz is going to bring negative stuff to us. And it said one of the major ways to change what your search engine searches for is by speaking it. It'll happen so fast that your whole attitude will change and everything will start coming to you that's right when you say what's right. So it it was built by God. Why wouldn't it work that way? Okay. Right? (laughs) Okay, so it said that attitude determines our altitude. And um, you know that's true. If we've got an attitude of I can't do, I'll never make it, it shit happens to people, and now we know it's the RAS that causes that to happen. So um, science has also discovered this. I have a friend who's a psychiatrist. She puts out a blog. I love it. I learn all this stuff without having to research myself. <laughs> so she put this blog out the other day, and um, science has revealed that if you speak three things daily that you're grateful for, In three months, your entire attitude will be changed. Search engine. Amazing. So this is another thing. So you're, we're talking about attitude here. Remember Edison, remember uh, Einstein. So attitude, the researchers found this. Attitude, I mean gratitude, will increase your longevity. It will increase your ability to use your imagination. If you can't see your life different, you can't even imagine. I can't imagine that ever happening to me. Have you ever said that? Gratitude will change that. 
Amazing. Gratitude will increase your ability to solve problems because you can see things differently. Your search engine will go to work and start showing you how to solve problems. Gratitude will increase your overall health. Gratitude uh, leads us to a feeling of life is worth living. Well, yeah, duh. If we're always complaining and seeing everything negative, what's, you know, anyway. Gratitude will increase the ability of us to bounce back and be more resilient. Positive attitude, and that's Raz going to work. Gratitude is more motivating and gives people a meaning for living. That's pretty powerful. Just just get a gratitude journal. Just get a notebook. I use my phone because you can't read my writing. And yeah, So I use my phone. My gratitude today, I'm so grateful. It's so easy. It doesn't have to be like this major big thing. It can be, I'm so grateful the sun's shining today and it's not snowing. <laughs> it could be snowing, you know, or just little things. It is the expression of gratitude. Three things. So get yourself a notebook and begin to write. You have to make it big. The sun is shining. I put at the top of mine, I am grateful for, and then I just bullet point, I am grateful the sun is shining, I am grateful, you know, and just easy things that I have friends. I have two friends, right? Do I? Okay. Three. We're growing. You know, four. Oh, anybody else want to join the crowd? No. So I'm grateful for the relationships, whatever. You don't have to make this a big deal. Just an easy, simple thing. Three things verbalized every day. I try to, the moment I wake up my eye, open my eyes, I try to think immediately of what I'm grateful for. Hey, I woke up. I am grateful because the alternative, not as exciting. Well, maybe for me it would be, but... So this same research showed that people with a negative attitude set up a loop in their mind of whining, victimization, blaming others, of envy, jealousy, and resentful resentment of other success. So you set up a loop in your own mind. It's that Raz working that all you think about is the bad things in life, and you get jealous of other people. I had somebody tell me the other day, I'm so jealous of you. And I thought, I don't want you jealous. I was my friend. I don't want you jealous of me. Why would you be jealous of me? And she goes, because you're happy and you love your life and I hate mine. Wow. What a weird thing to be. I mean, and you know me right away. I'm like, we can fix that. <laughs> Let's go to work. I'm like, oh, I love it. Uh, and she was like, I'm too lazy. I'm like, well, then you deserve it. (laughs) Don't you think? I mean, if you hate your life and you're too lazy to change it, then live it. (laughs) But I'm not going to live it with you. So uh, the narrow road and the broad path, it's just everyday decisions. People will put themselves on one or the other. But, okay, what comes out? What did you do? My mercy gift doesn't just oozing right now. <laughs> okay, so I might have lost half my friends right there. <laughs> I'm with you, girl. You're with me. You're with me. Till the end, right? 
So your attitude can completely reprogram your res so that it will search in your mind for the right things and the positive things, and then you'll have all these results of what gratitude will do. Simple, simple, simple. Just be grateful. Say it every day. And three months, your whole attitude will change, they said. So wonderful, wonderful. If you have a trouble with your attitude, there's your answer. Colossians 1.12 says, Your heart can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us. We can soar with gratitude and have all the benefits of it. Paul told us, fix your thoughts like thinker on what's true, what's honorable, what's pure, what's right, what's lovely. Pretty much that's God. All the time, right? So all this uprooting in our lives doesn't happen automatically. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to. God will never do for you what he's told you to do, right? So he's told you to renew your mind. That's what he's told you to do. So it's our job to do that. And um, so we can redefine who we are completely. Jesus said, you are no uh, you are no more defined by the world than I'm defined by the world. So we don't have to let all that garbage define us. So third John 2. I didn't even look at what time I started. Can you just tell me how, how long I've been going? Don't listen to them. <laughs> okay. There's the man. Third John 2 says, I wish above all things that you prosper. Remember what Nehemiah said? We're going to prosper. We're going to build this wall. We're going to prosper. I love that Greg sang that song last night because this is like, I wish above all things. Just think of all the things he could have said that you are in health. You prosper are in health even as your soul prospers. God wants our soul, our mind, will, and emotions to prosper. He wants us to get rid of all those um, tattoos that are holding us back. And so... I know a lot of people hear the word prosper and they first think of money or success. But I went to the dictionary. Love the dictionary. Sure sets us straight. The uh, definition of prosper is to become strong and flourishing. How easy is that? Strong and flourishing. It says to grow vigorously. (laughs) When I read that, grow vigorously, I saw a time-lapse photo of this plant growing. Have you ever seen those? Time-lapse thing and it's just... Done. So prosper is to grow vigorously. One time my brother, who was an alcoholic and had been locked up three times for trying to kill himself, he came, I invited him to come visit with me and stay with me. And I took him to church and the man preached on prosperity that night. And he talked about if you wear rubber shoes, you don't please God. God wants you to wear crocodile shoes. My brother go, turns around, looks at me and he looks at his shoes. He goes, God would never have me. It was horrible. You're right. I left that church too. That is not the definition of prosperity. It includes it to do better, to grow. To If you have no shoes, flip-flops is prosperity. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so God wants us to grow and grow vigorously, to flourish in our lives. But listen to this antonym for prosperity. It is to flounder Struggle and a fail. The opposite of God, what God wishes above all things is that you str- that you flounder. 
Have you ever felt like you were floundering? (laughs) So God never created failures or weaklings. That's not his design. He created us in his image and likeness. And remember when we talked about the conditioning of the elephant last time? Remember? He had a, that little baby elephant had a rope tied to him so that he wouldn't wander away. When he became an adult, 6,000 pound elephant, the same rope held him in place because he had been conditioned to believe that that restraint was stronger than he was when he was a baby. That's what these tattoos and strongholds do. They restrain us and they condition us so that we can't, whatever it is. And so, Psalm 23 says, the good shepherd restores our soul. And so the word for restore in the Hebrew is to turn back. Isn't that what he wants? He wants us to turn back before Eve did all that junk. He wants us back at the original plan where we walk and talk with God and that sin hadn't stained us. That's the original plan. And so this is one of the scriptures that is kind of my motto. You can blame David for my attitude, right? (laughs) I read this and I was, but anyway, became my attitude. I love this scripture. This is what we have to look. This is the attitude we have to have toward the strongholds, the tattoos, the can'ts, and the limitations in our life because we can do all things. So it's Psalm 18, starting in verse 37, and I think it's New Living. David said this. Listen to this attitude. He said, I chased my enemies and I caught them. I didn't stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so that they couldn't get up. They fell beneath my feet and I ground them as fine as dust in the wind and I swept them in the gutter like dirt. I'm like, the man, I love this. He didn't wait for his enemies to come after him. He said, I chased them. And that's what we've got to do. You're an enemy of my soul and I'm going after you. And I'm not going to quit until you're conquered. That's one of the biggest problems. He wants us to um, change our resolve, his intimidation, his lies, his pressure, his threats to get you to quit so that you can get halfway there, but as long as you don't get all the way there. And I think, and I I, I say this with all the mercy and love that I can conjure, (laughs) I think Christians are so prone to quitting before they get there. And so we've got to get this aggressive attitude knowing who we are, not in ourselves, but who we are in Christ. So Jesus said this, and another one of my favorites from the Phillips translation. He said, whatever you forbid on earth is what will be forbidden in heaven. It's like, oh, if I forbid it, then heaven backs me. Whatever you permit on earth is what... Heaven will permit. So if I do nothing, heaven does nothing. All authority has been given to us. It's in my control, in your control, what we do. So I just adopted David's attitude. I'm like, I'm going after you. As soon as I hear a stronghold, when I hear it come out of my mouth or it comes up in me somehow, I'm going after it. And we're going to kill it. We're going to smash it. 
crush it. He said, I ground it as fine as dust to the wind and swept it in the gutter where it belongs. Don't you just love that? Get aggressive. Get aggressive. Meet him in the alley. (laughs) Because he's stealing what belongs to you. I remember um, Ed Dufresne, when we first got saved, we were friends with Ed. He was the best man in our wedding. But I remember he came up to me one time and said, if there was a thief that came to your door and said, give me your husband and your kids, what would you do? I'd say, take the husband and leave the kids. <laughs> I did. I was brand new saved, sorry. <laughs> I was not married yet, so I didn't know. No, Ed was like, he turned white. You would? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just brand new Christian, okay? Give me a break. I knew nothing. I didn't know what his point was. He was like, no, you're supposed to, like, guard your house if an enemy comes. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it I got it now. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. What a wimp. What a wimp. <laughs> Wasn't even going to guard my house. Oh, just keep the kids and take everything else. You can have it. And that's the attitude a lot of times is that it's, Seems like a lot of work. I'm too lazy. You know, it's not really. Pastor Scarlett did such a fine job of showing us how easy it is. Quit saying I hate math and start saying I love it. True. It's true. It's so easy. I could give you so many examples of doing the same thing and, and, and it changed. That's how I've changed my whole, whole whole life is just by changing my words and uh, doing this, coming against the lies, the intimidation, the fear, knowing what it is. You are come to rob me of what's rightfully mine, and and, and I'm not that person that Ed used to talk to. <laughs> Go ahead and take them. <laughs> no, I'm not that person anymore. So, So Scarlett just asked me uh, to tell you about what I did before I really even knew. I mean, I'm still a baby Christian. <laughs> you'll you'll be able to know when I tell you the story. But I was saved. But um, I grew up with a very in a violent home, and my mom used to just beat us for no reason. Like one day she combed my hair, and my hair parted down the middle, and she smacked my face, and that went on for about an hour. Combed my hair, smacked my face. She just was abusive, terribly abusive. And so I hated her. <laughs> and I wasn't a Christian, so I mean, hate. This is the thing about living in a home with rage and anger is it gets in you. And so it got in me. And so I thought uh, when I leave home it would be gone, but it wasn't. And so I remember getting saved and being convicted that I really wanted to kill my mother. I mean, I tried to kill her one time. My siblings and I used to sit at the dinner table when my mom wasn't there and, and plan how to kill her. We came up with an idea. If we put LSD in her coffee, she'll just go nuts. And then one of us was smart enough to say, you think the cops will figure that out? <laughs> so we didn't do that one. But anyway, so we have this terrible hate toward our mother because she was so abusive. And so when I was a Christian, I still hated her with the same amount of hate. But I knew it wasn't right. Ding. Step number one. And so I would be driving to work alone in my car. And, and God, I didn't know who was saying this, but I heard, say you love your mother. And the first thing I did was, I hate my mother, right out loud, burst it out, because I did. 
And so the next day I hear this voice that says, say you love your mother. And I said, I hate my mother. Not quite so mean this time. This went on week after week after day after day after day. Say you love your mother. And I kept, finally I got tired of it and said, all right, I love my mother, but you know I hate her. That's really what I said out loud. So it kept on. Say you love your mother. Say you love your mother. And finally I just said, got in the car almost before the voice said it. And I love my mother. You don't have to say nothing. Until six months later, when I was in the car and the Lord said, say you love your mother. I said, I love my mother. And a wellspring of compassion came over me for that woman. (laughs) And my whole heart was changed. I saw the life for what she lived and how hurt she was and how wounded. And she only did what was done to her. And all of that hate was removed and all of that um, wound was healed and um, just because I said I love my mother. And I had never really heard anybody teach any of that, but the Holy Spirit was in the car with me while I was alone telling me to say something. And it was uprooted, totally uprooted. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. For somebody that attempted to kill somebody and then and and I was privileged the last three years of her life to take care of her. And um and I told her, I said, you're going to see love for the first time in your life because I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make you see it. And so, anyway, all because of what I said. Changed what I said from I hate my mother. To, you know, I... <laughs> Being a Christian, I knew it was wrong, but I was like, I just can't go to the pastor and say, I hate my mother and I want to kill her. I tried once. What do, I, what do you think I ought to do? <laughs> I just didn't feel like that would get me in his good book. <laughs> anyway, words make a difference. It'll change anything. And we've got to uproot those things that are on the inside of us. If you've been abused, I don't take, or any anything that you've experienced, we don't take anything from it. We're not trying to say it wasn't horrible or you didn't really experience or diminish the, you know, reality of it. What we want to do is heal it so that you can do like me and you can talk about all those horrible things and almost cry. (laughs) Well, I just cry because, you know, what God's done It's just amazing to me. So, anyway, yes, he is beautiful. So I've, I've, I'm through. I mean, I'm really not. You know, I could go forever, but I will quit. So my message to you again is that the strongholds in our lives have to be removed. It's our job to remove them, and it's so easy to do. Uh, you just have to recognize them and do it. Nehemiah said, God is mighty and awesome. He's glorious. And remember what you're fighting for. I'm fighting for my freedom, for the freedom of my sons, my daughters, my family, my home, my church, my world, whatever. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs>